0: Welcome to the Finding Sustainability Podcast. This is Stefan. Today, I'm talking with Barry Ness. Barry is an associate professor at Lund University Center for Sustainability Studies. He's also the director of the Local Interaction Platform in Skåne, the southern region of Sweden, for the Mistra Urbans Futures Project. His current research interests include inter- and transdisciplinary approaches for both comprehending and addressing complex sustainability challenges. Much of Barry's current research involves engagement with actors outside of academia, where he currently focuses efforts on how to improve the sustainability of craft beer production and consumption systems in southern Sweden. In the podcast, we discuss the development of the Lund University Center for Sustainability Studies in Sweden over the 20 years since he has been there. As part of that, we discuss the view he takes on the current state-of-the-art in sustainability science research, as well as the development of the Center's Master of Science program called LUMIS, with its aim to educate the next generation of environmental and sustainability scientists in both research and practice. Welcome, Barry.
1: Thank you very much. What are we drinking? It's great to have you here. Yeah. We are drinking a Belgian triple with finger root and uh, Thai basil.
0: Okay. It's a little... Uh... It's a little strong a little strong and a little old we had a few bottle bombs before <laughs> for those who don't know if you're homebrewing we're talking about the homebrewed beer that we're the tasting that barry made and yeah sometimes you get these bottle bombs because they're over carbonated so you open it up and it's basically a volcano and so sometimes it's a little bit of a lotto or something like that but uh how long have you been homebrewing
1: uh i think the first time i actually homebrewed was for my phd defense party so that would be 2008 and you i've been that. i've been blowing up beers ever since yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Now, brewing is one of those things, it's a continual learning process and you can always improve. But how long have you been in Lund now? Now over 20 years.
1: So I uh, came here for the Loomis program in the autumn or the summer of 1999. That's when Loomis was a year and a half program. This is our master's program. And then continued on here since then as PhD student, uh, researcher, assistant professor, and now associate professor here at Luxus. Yeah, how is it?
0: I mean, you've been here for twenty years. You've seen this institute go forward and progress. What are some of the major changes that have led up to where kind of Luxus is now?
1: Yeah, I think from a strict Luxus perspective, that it's gone from a conventional environmental science slash maybe even environmental studies department. Um, not very cutting edge, but also a very small organization. There were five, six of us at that time. And then it grew rather quickly due to some very successful EU proposals that we were part of in the uh, what's the sixth framework program. So this was a uh, quite a while ago, back in the uh, European Union framework programs for research. And then that's moved on from there into, you could say, an organization that became, it went from something called the The Center for Sustainability or for Environmental Studies, and then it changed to the Center for Sustainability Studies, 2005. It was at that time that I was continuing here as a PhD student between roughly 2003 and and the end of 2008. So our focus has changed from uh, maybe a organization that was focused focused in. Uh, doing a lot of research on uh, systems analysis, systems dynamics, those types of things, a little bit more of the, you could say, the hard sciences. And then it moved into a little bit more what may be described as sustainability studies, uh, a little bit of the softer aspects, um, a little bit more of a social science focus to things. So that was particularly the case, I would say, between 2008 to, through 2018. And this was the time that we had a project, a large project, uh, housed here at LUXIS, or at least housed here at the university, but with most of the researchers based here at LUXIS, predominantly PhD students, this is where it kind of took more of this social science focus. and It was focused predominantly on the integration of the social and natural sciences in sustainability research, but I would say that it was 95% social sciences. Yeah,
0: I know you were one of the first to get a PhD, actually, in sustainability science yes, from the, the institute first, for good Almost. and bad. <laughs> what was the what was the focus of the PhD research you did?
1: Uh, sustainability assessment. So you could say this started at a time, the pre Lucid program time, where we were still, you know, focused, you know, maybe on more conventional academic things. In my case, and then with my colleague's case, you know, focusing on sustainability assessment, quantitative methods, qualitative methods. Um, integrated assessment, these types of things. So this was at a time back when the European Union was implementing the um, integrated assessment process, encapsulating social, economic, and and environmental aspects into different sustainability assessments. So I was kind of a part of that, of both trying to understand all these different approaches, tools, methods that exist for doing that, as well as then moving on into a Specific case of you could say testing things and that was on the Swedish sugar uh, sector Mm -hmm. so I spent a Good deal of time um, You could say with my face in the data or whatever trying to find data uh, You know just doing a integrated assessment on the regional sugar sector here uh, From a both a qualitative and a quantitative perspectives.
0: Yeah, if you think about you know, the focus of your PhD, which was sustainability science and what the PhD students are doing now at Luxus and what their focus on sustainability science is, where do you see the change in sustainability science? What type of science is sustainability science? You know, this kinda of perennial question. Where has it evolved and what are the, what are people doing now that might be different?
1: Yeah, this is really timely right now because I have my sustainability science course right now as as you know why you're here actually. And it's moved, I think, from more, I think back a decade or so ago, it's moved from a perspective of maybe more sustainability assessment, um, these types of aspects into more, I wouldn't call it just bifurcation, but maybe going in, kind of factionalizing, kind of, of going in a number of diff- different directions. So we've seen, you know, a decade or so ago, we saw like resilience, resilience focus, resilience studies, these types of things, vulnerability studies, Um, and then roughly the same time you got into the transdisciplinarity part of it. So more of the bottom up processes, participatory processes with, you know, lots of societal engagement. And this has been, you could say the path that I've taken personally, although maybe standing outside a lot of the other research here at Luxis, but, you know, kind of the things that I've been working on through my direct recent directorship of the, um, in the Meester Urban Futures project, which just ended at the uh, end of last year, as well as some of the current research projects that I'm actually involved in. Two of those are Glocal Project, which is a Belmont Forum um, international project, as well as the Transform Project, which has its uh, basis and uh, funding home uh, in Waterloo, Canada. Mm-hmm. So I've been involved with these types of things. And then that's also led to a lot of the things that I've actually been doing. Um focusing on, you know, how do we actually try to push processes of change within organizations, trying to both understand these processes and also push them through facilitation, different types of engagement and, and so on. So we can t- talk about that maybe a little bit later, more more specifically.
0: Yeah, I'm interested in, I mean, I know you have partners who are working around the world in, in different countries also in the sustainability science focus. I mean, do you get the same sense that people doing sustainability science elsewhere have the same kind of notion of the same type of science that they think about here in Lund?
1: Uh, Lund is a little bit different because we've, as I mentioned with the Lucid program, we kind of etched out a international profile of being more of the, having a social science focus with a lot more, maybe what could be described as critical perspectives on sustainability, kind of questioning, not only questioning, you know, maybe what's being done, questioning, modeling the need of modeling these types of things but also different concepts within sustainability but also um just looking at you know more of the social dimensions of sustainability as well so that's been our focus but as as i mentioned i've kind of haven't been a integral part of that um my research has kind of gone in parallel with, I think, the development of different sustainability science research uh, research institutes around the globe. And this would be uh, University of Tokyo, um, Tokyo and uh, Lufana University, uh, Arizona State University, Maastricht um, University, and so on. So these are often our project partners, I think, or at least my project partners in some of the things that I've actually been working on. Yeah, you
0: mentioned the Loomis program, and that's, it seems like, some of the core educational part of this of this faculty, not faculty, but this institute. What is the Loomis program? What do they focus on?
1: Yep. Uh, Loomis has also changed over the years. As I said, it was very much the, the cornerstone of Loomis back when I took it, 1999-2000, was actually a, a strong focus on systems analysis, systems thinking, systems dynamics, um, and these sorts of aspects. And this is when it was a, as I said, a year and a half program. So it was a year of coursework Um, based largely on these things, and then a a thesis project. In 2005, when we changed the name from Miklu to uh, Luxis, our organization, we also uh, updated the program. It became a two-year program, and you could say shares more of the structure um, than as as it still does today or whatever, with a year and a half of coursework, a little bit more of engagement, Uh, in society with a course that we have in the course that uh, I'm running right now called Knowledge to Action. Um, Perpetual or Progressive Update in the Sustainability Science course, um, which is trying to integrate more of these aspects that I've been talking about, um, kind of group work activities, participatory activities, interpersonal skills, interpersonal competency developments among students and these types of things. So the program is kind of step-by-step changed. I was uh, led the program redevelopment progress between 2011 and 2013 and we launched the program the following year. So that's the program we kind of have today. Um, We will do another you could say redevelopment or we actually have done the redevelopment but we'll continue with that process as well and then focus more as well on you could say updating the program and if i have my way it'll be the focus more on you could say outreach to society more of these things that i've been talking about more of the things that i'm actually interested in as well
0: yeah so like the master's program here and i also did the master's program 2012-2014 what is you know you mentioned that you would have more focus on outreach going forward what is that program training The next generation of environmental and sustainability science students to do
1: yeah it's more about being active in society facilitation skills leadership skills um moving from you could say not only competent individuals that understand the science but also um individuals that can use the science use their skills in strategic ways then to kind of push these processes of change so this is kind of a, a big focus where we see that, sure, we can understand things we can and then we can be disgruntled over the fact that things aren't changing in society. So it's becoming a little bit, in some respects, we can talk about this in sustainability science general, that these things become a little bit, you know, kind of quasi science. Mm-hmm. That that we're kind of pushing things, you know, into society. So then we need new skills, which um, necessarily won't be scientific, but there's still be some kind of training components in this. So. Just understanding how uh, social systems change over time or how, and then if you're getting into things like uh, design design thinking, if you're getting into different types of transition processes and so on, that, you know, how do we both understand these processes but at the same time try to guide them? So that's kind of the big thing that the training that the students hopefully will get once again if... If we go this direction,
0: it links a little bit to like training students to engage with the public or engage with outside of academics and some of the work that you do. That's also, I guess you could say transdisciplinarity. Was that, is that a term that you you use in your project? How do you, what is transdisciplinarity for, for you guys in, in your projects? What does it mean?
1: Yeah, I would think that it's, I would say that it's, it's kind of moving both from a perspective of common problem formation with actors outside of society so you kind of start from that point that you you go into things and, and this actually brings out a really interesting thing from a research perspective is how do you get project funding for a project where which you can't really define what the real problem actually is and, um, because
0: part of the problem framing is actually as a going a through proposal the process, process. <laughs> yeah, with <the laughs> so, actors, right?
1: Yeah, so you get these types of uh, challenges in, involved with this process. But we've been, you know, lucky. I think in, in numerous cases, I think with some of these large processes. But it's it's working with different societal actors in certain sectors. In my case, uh, you know, most recently with the craft beer sector here in the region, and trying to understand their sustainability perspectives. Trying to, you could say augment these understandings from from them through my research. So I have a paper that was published a little bit over a year ago, focusing, you know, a little bit more on, you know, how do brewers um, internationally understand sustainability. So looking at, you know, more of an enhanced or maybe more of a nuanced understanding of sustainability, you know, more than just water, more than just energy systems, more than just organic ingredients or something like that. But you know, adding in gender issues and equality issues and alcohol over consumption issues and so on. So these are the types of things that are also involved in a transdisciplinary process and then actually moving into what could be described as transformational sustainability science or trying to actually do some kind of, you know, what also have been described as niche experiments or different types of uh, experiments, transition experiments. And this is actually moving from understanding the problem having a more nuanced understanding of it and then trying to actually experiment with different things to actually then move the ball on the on the sustainability that you're actually focused on so when
0: you think like transdisciplinary process how has that been for you trying to reach out to the different breweries in the region this southern region of sweden um, are they generally open for for thinking about sustainability issues what have been some of the challenges for for getting some of the brewing or brewers on board
1: i would say yes because i'm in sweden or we're located here in sweden that it's been a little bit maybe easier than initially um anticipated so i've had a couple different types of training events here at luxus or whatever on sustainability on introducing some different uh sustainability principles that we've co-created and so on so we've been we've been um Working on this, most of them or many of them are quite committed to the process, and they'll show up for these events and offer their feedback and are quite enthusiastic about it. Others have kind of dropped out of it, and you know maybe aren't so interested or see this is not something for them. Um, brewers, ingredient suppliers, people in general are very busy, so it's hard to you know kind of lure them to you know a bunch of different events on this. But we're doing our best. Um, So it's been rather positive Um, moving on to the next phase, I think at least with the sustainability principles then it's going to require more of an institutionalization of things and actually finding a forum um, to launch and try to, you could say, operationalize the sustainability principles for the different breweries and for the different ingredient suppliers and so on. So this will be the next step. Um, Right now we've um, been working with the Regional Brewers Society. Or small alcohol producer society to try to do this, and hopefully that will develop throughout the year. Now, so so you can see that it's kind of moving, you know, in some kind of chronological pattern to talking about sustainability and so on, and then taking the next step, and then start doing doing stuff. And then we have another more, you could say, a more targeted transition experiment going on with one of the uh, a single brewer, a single craft brewer here in the in the area, and this is about. Uh, growing hydroponic hops on site uh, at the brewery in a greenhouse so it's year-round growing it's uh, as i said it's hydroponically and if we can get this to go in some of our trials and we're looking at building the the greenhouse now in the next two months um, if we can make this work um, then we take the next step and start introducing you could say different types of growing enhancements to the process so first thing we'll do is we'll use the large amounts of waste heat to heat the greenhouse year-round. So this will be particularly in the, the winter, autumn, late autumn, and early spring months where we're gonna actually uh, try to pump in some of the waste heat that they're collecting from the, the water into the and heat the greenhouse so that will keep it at some kind of constant temperature. Then the other part is obviously adding the lighting or whatever to that and getting some growing lights in there. Uh, being Sweden that we're in here, it's definitely an issue. And I'm finding out this is definitely the issue right now with my experiments in my living room. Um, And then furthermore, if that works, if we can get that to work, the next step would be to, in the winter when things are closed up again, that we would also, we're capturing or they're capturing uh, carbon dioxide from the fermentation process. So we're going to actually take that carbon dioxide and start piping that, that... uh, would say, to enhance that process, to increase the growing. So we can just start a, a number of different things, I think, to play with the growing process. And-
0: I want to come back to what is success in a transdisciplinary project from an academic perspective. But I think first, I think it's useful for those who are not familiar or kind of wondering about what what transdisciplinary research actually is. Maybe you can like help us walk through the steps of a transdisciplinary research process and how that might be different from uh, more of a traditional academic process. So like what, what, what happens with the problem framing? Uh, how do you engage with the non-academic actors or the different actors who are involved? What does data collection look like analysis? And then what is results? And, and then ultimately what is success?
1: Yep. I would say that there's no, I mean, Lang et al has this, this article or whatever that kind of defines uh, amongst other authors they define the ideal typical, uh, the process. So this is you could say the the good basic steps. I think at least as it maybe things existed roughly a decade ago. And this would be this you could say this coming together, getting a first. The big challenge is some kind of relevant group of actors outside of academia, uh, as well as even inside of academia who are willing to uh, participate in a project. And this is sometimes difficult. People are, as I said, people are busy. People sometimes don't get paid for this type of thing. People are. Uh, have limited interest in this, despite the fact that they're, you know, important actors in this, so... So I, th- I would say that's the first step, is to define some kind of group. There are different methodologies for actually doing this, how do we define people in this, how do we get them to participate, and so on. Once you can do this, once you've done this, you have different forums, or at least the first forum, to try to then come up with some kind of um, common de- definition of the, the problem that you are actually focus on, who owns the problem, Um, How how does the problem impact different people and so on? So you can work through these types of things. Um, Once you start working through these types of processes, building trust among the different actors, because it's often the case that you have competing interests in some of these different issues, or even some of the people that are involved in this process could be some of the people that are actually causing some of the problems, um, energy companies and so on, that this could be the case for. Then you keep working through the process, I think, coming up with conceptualizations is a common way to do this, building trust or whatever, causal loop diagrams, different types of uh, uh, conceptual models then to, to try to then build trust, come up with a common understanding um, and try to take things forward. Um, once, once this is done, you can keep progressing through and, you know, depending on the focus of the project, depending on things, then you can start. Maybe looking, if it's a part of a design thinking process, you kind of start coming up and trying to find different potential ways that you can start addressing the problem. What Where might be good interjection points into trying to solve certain aspects of the problem. And these are often very targeted things that you're actually doing. Um, you could do that if you have... Um, you could say support from the different participants there, then you can start doing things. So for me, I mentioned maybe the hop growing or something that's kind of emerged out of this process of working together with, you know, certain, you know, particular brewers that were especially interested in things. So plus there's money there to do this, which is always a, a motivator. Uh, so then you can start the experimentation process, I think, and you know, how does this work? Is this a good idea? Are we doing the right thing? Can we can we actually do some kind of experimenting here, and you know, best case scenario that something actually works, and you have some kind of success. If you've made it this far, I can say that you've made it probably further than ninety percent of the <laughs> different types of experiments that have processes that have actually uh, gone on out there. Because usually they end up, you know, things kind of dissipate, lack of interest, lack of time, and so on. But if you're if you can make it this far, then I would say the state of the art in sustainability right now is kind of looking at ways of them scaling things. You know, how do we make this something relevant for more than just one brewer, you know, one organization, something like that. So it's a little bit of this upscaling, outscaling, scaling deep and so on that's been presented in the literature. We haven't made it that far yet, but at least there are scientific discussions and, you know, within transdisciplinarity on all of these things.
0: Yeah. I mean, it makes me think about success because... And we laughed a little bit about it, but just just the engagement part of it and getting people to come and, and and participate actually in the projects and think about those problems and conceptualize them. How does I think there's two parts of success or I would like to hear your perspective on it. One is is just that, like actually engaging with people outside of academia. And then of course there's the how academics are evaluated and those typical metrics of perhaps publications, for example, being a huge one. And how do those incentives and definitions of success change when you have transdisciplinary projects?
1: Yeah, they just differ completely. And this was a big part of this Mr. Urban Futures project, which was focused on transdisciplinarity slash knowledge co-production processes, that what's important for an academic is often quite different for a employee in a municipality, somebody that works in a um, a retail store to, you know, some kind of, um, you could say, NGO or something like that. So the first thing, as far as hard outputs, um, academic, peer-reviewed academic papers in quality journals are of little interest to most people. It's only part of the academics' could say career advancement uh, mechanism that they have, so that's why the interest is there. Otherwise, I don't, I don't know if anybody would produce papers. Um, it's changed a little bit, and it's a, you could say it's a little bit more flexible um, in recent years, where you can start doing putting out reports and other forms of knowledge dissemination, making small films, these types of things. So this has become a little bit more common, you could say, in the sustainability science industry, um, where these things are happening, but. What defines success? I think the first thing is is just to have a successful process, however far that goes, where people are actually still talking to each other afterwards. I mean, these are very basic things, but it really is true because as soon as you start getting into areas that are potentially sensitive with certain actors and so on, that things can get very, you know, very problematic. So there's lots of, you know, contention actually going on. Um, as well as just, I think, when you're defining these types of indicators throughout the process that they need to be very modest. That it isn't that we're going to, our only indicator of success is if that we have now changed all hop production to hydroponic based on site uh, growing four cycles a year, you know, you know, year round and these types of things. This is way too ambitious. The first that we can, can we build a network? of like-minded individuals that are willing to work together. You could say in an extended period of time, uh, on sustainability issues. I mean, this is a, a huge thing in itself. Yeah. So I'm very, I think fortunate with the people that I'm working with that, you know, I've been doing this, you could say in a very tangible way now since 2000, um, 16, 17 around there. So, and you know, a lot of the people that I've was working with and talking to back then are still interested in the, uh, working with me yeah so that's positive
0: from a methodological perspective like you said it seems so much of the work is actually about process rather than having some sort of tangible outcome at the end how important is that and how do you actually measure process what are some of the i mean you want to say indicators because it's kind of a quantitative way of thinking about success but much of it is actually qualitative i would imagine and what are those feedback processes look like um, when you measure kind of process oriented indicators
1: Yeah I think I mean a lot of us just I think in, in looking at this what I mean what I've been talking about or whatever is just to make sure that people are on board with you out you know throughout you know what you could define as a process or whatever you know more than showing up for one meeting or something like that but you know they keep coming back so you know, maybe one simple indicator, if we're looking at that, was are the people that showed up for participatory, participatory session number one, are they still, were they still there for participatory session number two? And I had a, maybe a 50% dropout rate or something like that. But then at the same time, I had new actors that came in that were also interested. So you have to kind of, so you have to be a little bit, I think, loose with these types of things that you realize that not everybody's going to be on in on the process for the, the entire duration, but they'll be there, you know. There will be a core group there, and then there'll be others that kind of come in and out. So, so this is one thing I, I think if you're looking at just you know, if we're looking at indicators, of how do we define some kind of uh, success of these things? Um, you're right. it's It's not about it's not about outcomes at this point, although bonus if we do. I mean, there's some experiments going on with some other areas that I'm actually working with with. Hydroponic hop growing and these types of things. So if you look at this from a more scientific perspective, that yeah, this could be something that's you know potentially there that we could say academic uh, success. Yes, maybe that it's or at least some kind of results on this that we can say. Let's publish a paper on this. Let's do some you could say some general outreach on this to say that you know here is a process that's potentially possible for the larger brewing community. And if anybody has a little bit of room for a greenhouse or even a little bit of land for you know, growing hops or whatever that we don't need to be shipping everything from New Zealand, Australia, uh, or uh, the Western US.
0: And one other part of the the success is, is the actual use and the implementation of the knowledge which is created within the project. And I mean, typically within academic projects, you you know, like as you said, the goal is a peer-reviewed uh, scientific paper and it usually stops there. And, you know, how much of that is about taking the knowledge back to the communities or back to the, the people or the brewers that you work with? And is it? I think there's some challenges there. One of them might be arguing with funders that you can give money to go back to the to your your sites, for example.
1: Always an issue. And this this is something that actually came up in Lucid that for part of this large project, because this was a well-funded project, that this was always something that we did. That there was usually, particularly in the in the respective PhD projects that we had here at Lux, is that there was always some kind of additional money available, um, usually right after graduation of the. Uh, respective PhD candidates where they went back to the field and had different types of seminars, different types of workshops, and so on, kind of showing uh, people the results of the things that they've been working on. So cases of this was using human urine as some kind of uh, fertilizer for crop growing in sub-Saharan Africa, more specifically in Uganda. Um, under th- Other things going on, looking at different types of agroforestry systems in um, Ecuador, and so on. So we have different examples of this, which in 99% of cases, I think, in this type of thing, it doesn't happen. Another thing, another way to do this that we've been a little bit active with, and this is making films. This is something that you can, you know, back when we were doing this, you could distribute a film uh, in the form of a CD-ROM, a DVD, something like that, give that to somebody and... Somebody would have access to, you know, some kind of computer or laptop. So they could actually sit down and watch a 10 to 20 minute film on results of a certain, you know, project that somebody has been involved with. So this we've been a little bit successful with that, too, and trying to push push the envelope in that direction, too.
0: Yeah, it seems that's still kind of underutilized, like this film and media, yep. like getting back yep. and as, as like in a non-scientific way to to communicate yep. back. One thing I was thinking about was. Um, is the PhD student education here in sustainability science. And one, one first part about that, because we've been talking about transdisciplinarity, is transdisciplinary or research necessarily part of sustainability science research? Where's the overlap there? Can you do sustainability science without having a transdisciplinary focus?
1: Yep, um, I can tread in on a little bit, uh, maybe some uh, thin ground here, maybe with uh, how I would define sustainability science. I, th- I would just say that the sustainability science that I work with personally, I would define as, you know, kind of a major component of that would be some kind of engagement with society and so on. At least, you know, doing the steps that I kind of defined before or whatever, of working in this type of way. This does not mean that all people that are working within the field, particularly here at Lux's, work in this manner. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have different cases, but, you know, for the cases, they're actually interviewing people, going out and kind of getting these stakeholder perspectives. So I would say it's the descriptive analytical part of of sustainability science research. It's that first fifty percent or twenty five percent or something like that. So you're actually focused on these aspects, you know, trying to understand, get a more robust understanding of the problem situation and so on. Maybe Policy, creating policy briefs, creating you know different recommendations in your actual thesis on what should be done with the situation to make it more sustainable. That's a conventional way of doing it. Lots of that going on here as well. Other work going on with at least understanding social movements, which is another, you could say, mechanism, methodology for change. Um, that's been rather prevalent prevalent here. And we've had a number of people um, here working on trying to understand these types of things. Um Mm-hmm. So that's another thing, at least uh, from a Luke's perspective. And then there's just more, you know, resilience studies, these types of things, as I said, that there's people all over the globe doing what could be described as sustainability science, publishing in the journal Sustainability Science. But once again, it's not what I do. Mm-hmm. So this is a very um, porous field. Um, lots of people even in the past just putting the name sustainability science on what they were doing, and they were definitely not doing sustainability science. And this is how it was, particularly a decade to five years ago. I would say that many of the different institutions, the sustainability science institutions and even sustainability institutions around the globe are also now today doing, you know, you could say more outreach with with society and so on in general.
0: Yeah, well, I think it gives a little bit of perspective to the evolving and kind of pluralistic nature of what people think sustainability science is and and how that's diverse in different places around the world. One thing, going back again to the PhD student education here, I'm interested in some of the challenges because it's kind of pluralistic and there is different definitions of sustainability science. You know, what are some of those challenges that that PhD students face? You know, the next generation of of scientists are being trained, which are going to be out in the world. For example, methodological routing, you know, what type of methods typically do they focus on, or also theoretical routing, which might... Uh, when you go through an education, the traditional faculty or a discipline that might be more obvious or clear about what methods and, and theories you might use. How, how is that situation here? Yeah, looks I would as- say the,
1: the situation at Lux's has actually been there's been with this strong association with the social sciences and then more recently us being a part of the social science faculty. We used to be faculty independent. Um, so this has actually give, given us some kind of direct connection to what could be described as more conventional types of science so once again if it's you know social sciences you're getting into maybe different critical perspectives examining different terms complex looks looking at issues of power um, and how that influences transitions to sustainability science I mean there's there's countless examples I think through our different uh, uh, PhD processes but You know, this is basically something that's happening that's uh, kept us a little bit closer, I think, than maybe other institutions uh, around the globe. I have association with um, University of Tokyo and the sustainability science uh, programs there, masters and PhD. And you know, there they're getting a little bit more into the outreach and and more engagement aspects or whatever. So there's at least the group that I'm working with there that are kind of dealing with a little bit more of the. What may be described may be described as the cutting edge of sustainability science, but uh, you know, working in those directions. So you see a little bit of you know, depending on where you are, you see kind of things differing based on the focus. Arizona State, uh, you know, my knowledge at least of a lot of the research and PhD projects there, a little bit more engaged in local community, regional communities in Mexico and so on. Um, Lufana, the same thing. Um, and so on. So, um, so there's been a little bit of a meth- methods are still there. I think, particularly here at Luxis, uh, lots of conventional methods. I think, and just kind of, as I said, the descriptive analytical ones, semi-structured interviews. Uh, we've done focus groups. Uh, um, Working with these types of things, just, you know, literature review, reviews and so on. Um, so it's, it's it's the conventional, you know, academic, uh, particularly social science methods that are being employed. But, you know, this also changes, too, with, you know, more ambitious engagement with society and right. things need to change.
0: Yeah, well, let's get into some of the the different projects you guys have right now. Um, you talked a little bit about the beer projects and you mentioned in the beginning.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have Transform Project, which is the project with another large international seven year project. Uh, Cirque uh, in Canada f- is financing this project and this one. Uh, University of Waterloo, uh, a uh, colleague of ours that we know, Chris Luteritz, is involved with this, kind of on the periphery. And then. Um, Number of different university, of Melbourne, uh, was it Monash University, maybe as well, and so a number of different people. And once again, kind of the usual suspects that I'm uh, collaborating with. So it's Lufana, and as well as, uh, in this case, it's Drift in the Netherlands, as well as um, uh, Arizona State. So we, and this is a project that focuses instead of maybe where one of my projects is focused on. Uh, transdisciplinary perspective from maybe more of a municipality focus, I would say that transform has more of a small business and a business and organization kind of system focus. Looking in that, you could say, smaller bottom up processes of change, uh, sustainable, sustainable processes of change or whatever from, a, you know, kind of a local regional firms or whatever and small business. So really a focus on SMEs and so on. So you can see that my the craft beer project fits well into this. So, so I'm working with one, under, one other individual from Lund on this, as well as Daniel Lang from Lufana University. We're um, co-coordinating one of the work packages on experimentation for that.
0: What are some of the specific questions? I mean, basically just
1: trying to, I think in, in general, just trying to understand these processes, kind of coming up with a different approach for engagement in different societal actors, and as I said, mainly, mainly SSEs, and then looking more specifically at doing the actual experimentation on these or whatever, of taking some groups, selecting some groups. So, so I can just, as a little side to this or whatever, that I'm also working with a number of different universities, Chris included, um, and the people at ASU, and the people at Lufana University, on creating a group on like a global living lab on craft beer. So this is something that we're having some discussions about right now and putting together a paper on this of looking at some of the initiatives there. So lots of things you could say focused on there, understanding these processes and then trying to um, build these processes or whatever through actual engagement. So trying to, you could say, push things to the next level on actual processes of change.
0: Yeah, when you think of like transformation of small scale enterprises, why is the craft beer sector so ripe? for a case study in that? What's the situation right now?
1: Yeah, is it? Everybody keeps, I mean, the first thing is that it's just damn cool and somehow everybody can associate themselves with the craft beer movement or whatever. So I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, but you know, then when you actually meet a lot of the people, you know, they're just normal people, you know, yeah. that are running a small business. And some of them are stressed out as hell because they're trying to make ends meet and trying to expand their breweries and trying to, Experiment with different beers and so on. So I would say, I mean, there's a definite, not unlike a lot of other uh, sectors, uh, production sectors and so on, there's a close link to energy systems, resource systems, water, these types of things. So that's one direct thing. Um, You could argue that these are individuals, because they're in the craft sector, some kind of craft sector, that they're, for some reason, generally more concerned about uh, resource preservation issues, sustainability issues in general. Is
0: that because of the craft? I mean, it's somehow associated with like a community-based mentality or like yeah, a local definitely. scale production.
1: Yeah, although it's becoming less so these days, all kinds of crazy things are happening with New Belgian Brewery and being gobbled up by or sold off to a large multinational corporation. This is happening with a bunch of other breweries and we're seeing all kinds of crazy things happening, which... You know, maybe five, six years ago or so happened also in the direct trade, you know, kind of hipster coffee movement as well. So so everything becomes big, too much success and then things become big. And then, you know, so then we're into different types of um, sustainability management systems. All of a sudden we're into something more like uh, social uh, um different types of social and corporate responsibility and these types of things that are actually become predominant, you know, we're looking for different kinds of certification systems. Right now, it's a lot with, within the, you know, those that are interested, we're into different types, you know, B certification and these types of things, which are basically developed for small businesses or smaller businesses. So, yeah. so it's moving away from that, uh, unfortunately, entire, entirely too quickly. But it's to be expected.
0: And Sweden is, I mean, it's generally following the trend kind of globally, or at least in the Europe and North America. Yeah, it's
1: behind in that regard as far as, I mean, There's Sweden has a definite um, unique situation with the Swedish liquor monopoly or System Belaget that kind of keeps it, uh, yeah, in a different position, I think, than other other places, so... The ability, I mean, there's almost a desire by Swedish brewers to become international because then they're not subject to all the uh, alcohol taxes. Sure. So that becomes kind of a motivation for them actually to sell in places like Germany or, or Denmark or the U.S. or Japan. And Some of them are, regional brewers are actually doing that. So, But yeah, I mean, the, the industry in general, I mean, it is changing. It's... Um, there's probably above average uh, interest in sustainability issues, I think just based on the the character of the products that they're actually producing. But beyond that, just sounds like a PhD project. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what are what are some of the other projects you have going on?
1: Uh, I just finished up with, well, I'm still doing it actually for the next six months to, to wind things up, but uh, working with a uh, monstrosity of a project called Meester Urban Futures. This was a... Ten-year program, basically research program, that was focused on uh, what was described as transdisciplinary uh, knowledge co-production. Um, as I mentioned before, that this is the one that was focused, on, at least with my experiences with it, that was predominantly on the interaction between, um, you could say, municipalities and um, academia. Looking at sustainable processes of sustainable change, um, not so much the experimentation, but just the knowledge co-production processes um, from that kind of that uh, those two realms. Of course, there were other other actors involved in some of the projects, but I, th- I would say that the core of it was kind of there. Looking at policy processes, how can this the interaction, better understanding, co-producing, you know, better knowledge be be you know, promoted through these types of processes.
0: Yeah, it seems like some of the, the core purpose of the different projects you mentioned so far, it's really methodological. I don't yep. know if you would see it like that, but yep. it's really about how do we do transdisciplinarity? How do we do sustainability science from that process-oriented perspective? And it seems there's still a lot of methodological mysteries there. It's kind of a black box, uh, so Especially to say. Especially when
1: you put more than more than one person in a room, anything can happen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from running the sustainability science course and um, for the last decade of here at in the Loomis program and just with a lot of group work there and working with these different 12 projects that I have that are up on the board here next to me. Um, it's crazy because yeah. you get these different constellations and you have different ambitions and you have different people, you know, different levels of uh, different management skills. Some people that are running the projects are true academics and have minimal management skills and can't lead a group and this leads to challenges and then you have other academics that are maybe leading these that are things work beautifully and things are well structured so I've in the last two years plus I have seen everything so and then you're looking at this from a perspective that this is a project that was based in Gothenburg with six different you could say hubs um, called platforms uh, interaction platforms around the globe and these have been um, successful in different degrees. Um, Ours has been a little bit problematic because I took over only two years ago and this was the soil. It was there for half the time that this platform actually existed so I've had to try to form, operationalize, and wind down research in two years. Uh, We spent roughly 25 million Swedish crowns in total uh, including co-financing, cash, and in-kind financing. And um, um, there were roughly 50 researchers involved with this. So this has been a fast project management learning experience, most I've ever been able to do in all my history of managing people, as well as, once again, as you said, kind of a focus on the methodological issues, the process issues of doing transdisciplinarity.
0: Yeah. I mean, that makes me think back again to the success and, you know, what is success for a, a well-funded project like that to the funders? What is success to, to you individually? And then what is success for, for the non-academics who, who you're engaging I mean,
1: there's actually papers produced on this and as a part of the, the broader project that there's been lots of scholarship on focusing on this. But once again, it goes back to this idea that if you're in a municipality, you're probably going to produce a report and have a conference or a workshop. If you're working in academia and if you're trying to satisfy MISTRA, the funding organization, the person that's coming up with a lot of money for this, that the only thing there is is uh, peer-reviewed international uh, publications um, from academics and and others as well. But it's usually academics leading this type of process. And then you get lots of the, you could say, the different people that... We have a number of cases where individuals were kind of working at the university half-time and also working within a municipality. So you start seeing these things. And then a little bit of experimentation going on there. Well, is what's called in Swedish some kind of municipality. And in Swedish, a commune doctorand or municip- municipal doc- uh, doctoral students or something like that. So, you know, starting embedding people in the municipality to carry out research and do this type of thing. So there's some, yeah. And this is also, this is the same as like some kind of, sandwich programs in industry as well that there that exist that you can actually do this in the private sector as well yeah. so, so it's a different kind of a little different pitch at least in this perspective on that of municipalities organizations and so on
0: oh, that's interesting is there any other projects you want to mention or highlight
1: uh, within a part of this actually one of those 12 up there is is one of them on solid waste systems and this is you could just dis- one might describe it as more um, uh, descriptive analytical, um, despite that it's a transdisciplinary project, there's participation from different actors, municipal- municipalities in Kisumu, Kenya, university in Kisumu, Kenya, other waste collectors. So we're looking at uh, sustainable, creating sustainable waste systems there. It's a really interesting, really fun, really challenging project that we're um, both trying to, you could say, create some policy and so decision support. Um, for the the, the things the, the policies being made in Kasumo and also trying to understand what's going on there, um, and what they, what's happened is that they've had a uh, a dump site there, based in the center of town or whatever, closing this, and uh, so they're wondering, okay, what are we going to do with the waste streams now, the solid waste streams? So it's us there trying to come up with different alternatives, or help them in their decision making. As I said, for um, providing insights on the alternatives that they're actually promoting right now. So this is, you know, some policymakers want to actually have a uh, build an incineration facility. Others want to jump-dump the waste in a quarry, uh, start a new landfill. Others might be interested in doing something about a more elaborated, uh, more technical landfill called a bioreactor cell. Uh, others want to just do a complete recycling system, uh, biodigesters for organic waste. So we're looking at all these. So right now I have one uh, past student, a Lumis alum. Actually, she's back in Brazil right now finishing up a multi-criteria assessment on these different treatment
0: options. Cool. Yeah, I was, I was, I was just walking around the Institute. I've seen a lot of posters for the, the sustainable development goals. So I'm wondering, you know, how much does that... I mean, you think of sustainability as a general term. Um, a lot of that's framed internationally in these big development goals, and, and then of course there's sustainability science as its own its own research ambitions and goals. And you know, how much is when you when you get down to the institute level and these specific projects you have are those linked to some of the bigger international platforms for agenda setting?
1: Uh, generally not, but because. Many more nation states these, do- these days are drinking the SDG Kool-Aid. Um, it makes things a lot easier. <laughs> so you can really, I mean, it's almost essential that for every application you have, you need to frame that in some kind of SDG perspective.
0: Is that because the states, they get on board with the agenda setting program and then that trickles down through the funding mechanisms. Definitely. I mean, there's a call
1: out right now within the Formus organization or one of our national funding agencies that's focused really on operationalizing the SDGs. So you're seeing this type of thing happening. And of course, if you want to be a part of the funding, which is the way that we, you know, basically create our livelihoods here in academia these days that you need to be on board with these things. Uh, Does it really change things when when you get down into the nitty gritty research and the different processes that we've been talking about? No, no. Probably not. Not so much. It's more of a framing tool and try to understand these things maybe in some kind of different perspective, another different framework or whatever. I haven't seen it at least. I mean, I've I'm working on a proposal right now that's going in Monday or whatever, and this is mentioned the SDGs a few times throughout the proposal. But all in all, that it's it's still it's not framed completely within some kind of SDG perspectives. It's just that there's a more robust set of you know. Indicators, goals, you know, ambitions, targets, and so on within the SDGs, which then make it easier to frame your research within that perspective because it's not only global self perspective as we had you know predominantly predominantly with the millennium development
0: goals yeah well i mean thinking forward and and i know you guys are developing various proposals and ideas you know thinking forward in general where do you see sustainability science transdisciplinary research what are some maybe it's helpful to think about a specific project that you would like to to work on
1: yeah i don't really know i think at this point that i'm thinking short-term within the next year, get research funding in to kind of keep doing the things that I'm actually doing. So it's exploration of these types of processes that happen, you know, in and outside of academia or whatever, you know, these participatory processes that we've talked a lot about. So, I mean, I'm not looking at it. It's it's really, you could say, burrowing down or delving down into these different aspects there and actually focusing on on these types of things. And, you know, just... Dissecting them. So as I said the proposal I have right now going on. I mean it's looking at You know educating PhD students focused on more nuanced understanding of the three spheres or legs of sustainability focusing on circular economy circular resource and efficiency uh, efficiency systems and focused on what's in the EU called uh, uh, in Inclusive something. Sorry, I'm forgetting right now. But this is a social aspect that the EU has been focused on, you know, kind of this social inclusion, obviously. So these are the things that, um, you know, that this is focused on in conjunction with. If you're looking at a, you could say, a process perspective within that, then you're focused, we're focused on uh, aspects of scaling, as I've mentioned. We're focused on aspects of, of knowledge and learning. How do these things actually happen within these processes? And we're also, focused on these aspects of impact, you know, how much impact do these actually create? And then how can we design these uh, processes projects? So they actually create maximum impact. You know, how do we make things actually, you know, how do we move it up? How do we scale them? So all these things are definitely, you know, kind of they interact with each other.
0: Yeah. I'm interested, you know, the reflexivity aspect of of sustainability science and transdisciplinarity of, of, I think there's more and more nowadays that we realize, even if you're not thinking that you're doing transdisciplinary research, that just being part of the system and interviewing people and, and changing them and being there is is changing, is making a change. And then how much of, of sustainability science is, is reflexive in that sense and saying, okay, what is the role of the researcher as an actual actor participating in that system? Uh, I mean, how much of that do you think about?
1: All the time, because we wrote a paper about it uh, that was published roughly a year ago.
0: <laughs> and we'll, uh. link, we'll link to that paper, of course. <laughs>
1: yeah. And this is the, uh, it's in the Ecology and Society. And we actually looked at the Lucid project. So once the Lucid project was actually winding down, we had focus groups with a number of different researchers that participated in the process. And it looked specifically at reflexivity of the, you know, the researchers. So not of other actors outside. The first question was, you know, do you identify with doing interdisciplinary research or transdisciplinary research or research that kind of, Touches on a number of different institutions within academia, or this trans—what we define as transdisciplinarity—of reaching out to society or whatever and doing interaction with them. So that was the first, the first type of person where we had more interdisciplinarity happening here at uh, within the program. And then the other part was, how did they experience this idea of, or how did they deal with reflexivity and? types of things within their projects because they would get out to the field often they would go to sub-saharan africa somewhere in south america and they would find out that the reality there is completely different than they wrote in their proposal so how do you deal with these types of things and having an inter- engagement with people and so on so definitely a critical part of these types of processes and processes in general
0: yeah well we'll link to yeah the different projects you mentioned and in, in your website and and the paper of course <laughs> um what uh what are you going to brew next
1: Oh, great question. Uh, I have had a package of mead yeast in my refrigerator now for maybe too long. Uh, and then my partner purchased a mead mead um, uh, book for me with recipes and kind of the history of it. So it's probably going to go in that direction. Well,
0: thanks, Barry. Appreciate it.
1: Yep, it was great. Thanks. <laughs>
0: If you enjoyed this episode of the Finding Sustainability podcast, you can listen to full interviews with all of our guests in the podcast feed. You can also find us on Twitter at find underscore sussed underscore pod, or you can visit our website, www.essnetwork.net forward slash podcast. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher, and can be streamed from our website. This podcast is part of the Environmental Social Science Network, For more information about the network and how to get involved, please visit our website. Thank you for supporting the podcast.